Welcome to In Early, the crypto podcast, where I speak to those at the forefront of the digital asset space, telling real life stories, discussing the growth and growing pains of the industry, and exploring how blockchain technology has made an impact on people's lives. My name is Matt Green, and I'm the blockchain litigation lead at Shoesmiths. This week is all about DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations, and I'm joined by Divian Kandia, co-founder and COO of the Hot DAO. He explains what DAOs are and how they operate, his actual experience of running one, including the benefits and stumbling blocks, as well as his contribution to the Law Commission's call for evidence, liability of people where DAOs are involved, and the Mango hack which exploited a DAO, the Uki proceedings in the US, and the tornado sanctions from the summer. We also talk about his business, The Hot DAO, which is designed to bridge the gap between real estate and blockchain using NFTs and decentralized finance. So welcome. How are we doing today? Yes, good. How are you? Yeah, yeah I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Let's, let's just get into it. So um, how did we meet? It's always a good question to start with. Can you remember? Mm, yeah. So uh, one of the other guys I work with, Abdul, um, we were kind of on the hunt for a legal dude. And uh, he immediately pointed uh, me in the direction of you. That's very good. Um, so, yeah, we got talking. It wasn't quite, I mean, obviously doing great things here. So it wasn't quite right there, but we found a lot of other things to speak about. Yeah, and we've sat and had coffees and breakfast and talk about and spoken about, sorry, some of the things that we're yeah. going to speak to you today. And we thought, instead of having a conversation that isn't recorded, let's go and have one that is recorded. <laughs> Hopefully that will enlighten some people. Oh. Um, so fingers crossed. So how did you get into the world of blockchain and crypto? Uh, so I was reasonably lucky. So I had a, a, a good interest in blockchain and crypto just from my peripheral. So, you know, nothing to do with work. Um, and I also happened to be working in real estate, private equity. This was not that long ago. This is 2019. And um, it was kind of, I was kind of looking at stable coins in my spare time, blah, blah, just seeing how it was, it was all very fascinating. Um, but then I, I started to think, uh, you know, the, the case for a stable coin currently is is you know, basically it was just MakerDAO at that point. I mean, USDC and USDT were coming together, but but MakerDAO just used Ethereum to back its stable coin. And I was obviously tracking Ethereum, you know, incredible project, incredible infrastructure, but mm. but it's very volatile in terms of the price. So, so people are using that to back a stable coin. I'm, I thought there was a better way. Real estate, I was working in real estate, so, um, yeah, I started along the lines of thinking about how you could put real estate behind a stablecoin. And uh, yeah, that led me to found HotDAO. So, I mean, we'll come back to actually how the HotDAO works, but it's a matter of your background in property. Mm. I think, that, did you work in finance? Have I got that I right did, as well? Yeah, I didn't want to bore you through all of that, but I went through, yeah. <laughs> no, let's hear the journey. Traditional, oh yeah, so 2012, I started in the city yeah, and I did uh, stockbroking. So I was just working for... Um, ultra high net worth individuals mm -hmm. doing their kind of, I guess, side trading. So they would have their their main professional wealth managed by someone like Investec, mm -hmm. and then I would sort of use their their you know fund money to to invest in in well, it was medium to high risk stocks. So there was a lot of uh, investigation, there was a lot of uh, technical analysis, but there was also a lot of um, literally chucked in the deep end. So they're like, here's a phone. And you've got to get calling. And it wasn't so much like cold calling, like literally, you know, hello, sir, I've never met you. It was always, it was, they say warm, but it was effectively like a, a, a list of people that had responded to an, an advert at some point. And then it was a case of kind of, yeah, going over. It makes you, it makes you cringe now, but like at the time it was like, sink or swim and that was like there was powerful lessons yeah but look who you are now you know you're running the dow you've got some thick skin so i guess yeah, the, yeah, I the guess. world of finance and real estate has got you to where you are now basically yeah yeah that's that's right so i think for those who don't know what a dow is and i think it's worth you going through um so can you explain a dow how it works and what does the running of a dow look like sure yeah so uh it stands for decentralized autonomous organization um decentralized is if yeah is 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 as if you would just understand the word most plainly. So instead of a concentrated area of control, control is is distributed to um, token holders. So yeah, that's that's the decentralized part. They could be anywhere in the world. Um, autonomous is an interesting one. So um, yes, the the 
uh, we were talking about it earlier, but the Law Commission put out a call for evidence. Mm -hmm. They categorize uh, autonomous in two potential different ways. Uh, one is the pure code. So effectively, you put in, or a group of token holders put in a, uh, and come to a decision, and the code executes the decision. So that's the autonomy. It's just, you know, it just does what a group of people tell it to do without outside interference. Mm -hmm executes basically and the other side was saying how it's a social technical construct so the autonomy basically to govern um comes from entirely within so in terms of you yeah operating it it's all from within and it doesn't need outside actors so actually from <laughs> me just saying that out loud it seems like there's quite a crossover yeah. but they made it quite distinct but but yeah, in, in my opinion it's both and it makes a lot of sense well i think we'll come on to the law commission's mm. call for evidence but day-to-day -day running of a DAO, what does it look like? So if someone said to you, you know, I'm thinking about operating a DAO, what does that mean? What does a day-to-day -day look like? It's to do with voting, right? So what does that all mean? Yeah, so day-to-day uh, -day effectively is, it is a, um, it's like an open forum. So say you were to go to like a town meeting, you know, you could, you could come and you could suggest what you think is best and that's that's actually probably the way I would describe it. It's like you could put your hand up and you have a reasonable voice, like people will hear you. You can make a suggestion as to how you think the town should be run. You have the chance to garner support. Um, and then you have your chance to sort of have your um, sort of thoughts put into an actual decisive action. So it's kind of, that's kind of like what it's like all the time. So there's always a set well, most of the time there's a set period of people online who are just sort of reading through the proposals, seeing how they could improve things, blah, blah, blah. And then they might suggest something that garners a lot of support and they build like a profile. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about communication. Um, and yes, it's if you're, if you're looking to execute, it's all about voting. So it's like, it's almost like a democratic way of running a business. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's like, as far as I'm aware, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but there's, a, a say, 100 people and they're members of the DAO. Mm. And one of them will propose something that I guess would further the benefit of the mission of the DAO. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's proposed, people vote on it. Yep. And if they vote on it, and um, it goes through, it's normally 50%, 51%. That's right, that's right. And normally right. 51%, yeah, yeah. and then it becomes part of the protocol. So then it automatically, I guess, that's the all. The, the sort of autonomous bit to some extent yes. that gets put into the code and then it just operates and that's it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's it. Okay. And then there's like a mission, I guess, for the DAO because you might have, and we'll come on to this a little bit later, mm. but there might be people who want to take the DAO in a certain direction Yeah, yeah. and then other people who don't. So I yeah. guess it's all about majority yes. stakeholders. Yeah, Is that that's right? absolutely right. So make a DAO, which is the biggest DAO in the world, the one that set the stage for all DAOs. I think they define the term. Um, there was something, there was a vote very recently um, about, I think it was to do, yes, it was to do with going effectively pure decentralized, the pure decentralized way or retaining an element of centralization. And um, it was very, very close. I think it was like 51, 49, like Brexit style stuff. <laughs> yeah. And um, yes, it, it actually, it just went in favor of decentralized and actually I know one of the guys that was involved in making the case towards um, full decentralization. And yeah, he was obviously chuffed that he got it over, over, the, over the line. And I also know one of the guys that was very involved on the centralization side. And he has, he's kind of, he's left it on principle grounds out of, you know, taking himself out. Oh, really? So he's removed himself from He's the removed day. himself, yeah. I mean, so things I get quite, I don't know, quite personal or do they... Well, you've got to remember, like the, these people that are involved in the early stages of of the DAO are like they're super, super um, passionate. That's the only reason I think you would involve yourself this early is if you really, truly believe in the principles of a DAO. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so is it a matter whereby um, you have votes, and I guess it's to some extent like holding shares at a shareholder meeting, right? So if you have more shares, you get more power. So tell me how tokens work and voting works absolutely so you're right it's it's effectively like holding shares in the company the most important so and, and also you could see um general proposals like um resolutions you know that you would have in any company agms people the, the key difference is that people in you know normal the normal shareholding world 
can only propose a vote a vote if they have enough shares to do so. And normally it's, you know, effectively saying to people, we don't want retail people to be able to suggest the way that our company goes. It's only institutions, i.e. we only really care about the people with the money. Mm-hmm. Um, in with DAOs, I mean, yes, I think, you know, the institutions generally do have a lot more say because they have more um, tokens, which effectively the shares, but that little person can come along and say, hey, guys, I think this should be done this way. And, you know, they can have their voice, their voice hurt and then they can accrue a following and then they can sort of make a difference. They can make a revolution happen. You know, that that is that sort of empowerment from being so, you know, for someone so small. So the idea is, is I suppose, and this is, this is it, you can have in a DAO a voice. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have a voting That's right. power behind you, but at least you get the opportunity yep. to propose the way in which the business is going to be run. Absolutely. So normally there's a, di- I suppose, in a normal business director's board and they're the ones who make the ultimate decisions. It's very difficult to penetrate the decision-making yes. if you're lower down. Here, it's far more democratic. It's pure, absolutely purely democratic, yeah. But it gets quite, I guess, personal and emotional. I mean, you said that one of your friends left. Is that Does that happen a lot? Do people come and go? Uh, see, I can only attest to the big ones that I would sort of, so suggest I'm more on a sort of personal level with, mm. but um, I I would expect it happens a lot in the smaller ones too because yeah. you know someone again like I say the, the people that get involved earliest are are the most passionate arguably mm. you know so therefore if something doesn't go the way they want then they're gonna they're gonna remove themselves a bit more. So do they have to buy these tokens? Because it's like you buy it and then you get a vote. It's almost like pay to play to some extent, right? So if you want to leave a DAO, do you have to sell it? And if you sell it, what value do you sell it at? And these questions that we may yes, not know yes, yes. necessarily the answers to. Unless of course. You of course. So you, 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 one way to get the tokens is just to purely buy them. Mm-hmm. And you get a, a vote for every token. Mm-hmm. But the, more, uh, the, the better way to get tokens and the way hot DAO actually you know, enables people to to get a lot of tokens is by interaction with the protocol. And by the protocol, I mean just the group of smart contracts that the DAO governs. So contracts in the middle of the DAO mm-hmm. all work around to, to make the smart contracts do their thing. And um, the yeah, the better way is if you, for example, were to come to our protocol and interact with it. So put in some real estate and a real estate NFT, which you can come to mm. and draw down some stable coin you will be rewarded in our hot token, which is equity, just right. like we're talking about. And that will give you a certain amount of votes. Equally, if you come to our protocol and you stake, which effectively, I, you know, I can't, I've got to be careful with language. It's like, it's like <laughs> putting um, your money in a bank yeah. and getting a return. Yeah. So, you know, deposit, a deposit account. However, it's called staking. So you get a rate of staking. Mm-hmm. In the stablecoin plus the um, hot token or, or the equity, right? So, your the, the more you interact, the more you, you get, and obviously they're for free on top of the service which you're using the DAO. So it's interacting with that service, you get a token. So it's all essentially governed by tokens, and those tokens, I guess, some places where they'll be stablecoins, some pe- some places they won't, some places they'll have a, a market value. Well, well, no, this is the thing. So, stablecoins um, are sort of Generally speaking, by holding stable coins, you don't have that much power within a um, an ecosystem. I mean, you could use those stable coins to do things, but in terms of actually having the voice, it's what you call the governance token that mm. provides that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what we're saying is is you can incentivize people by giving them rewards in the stable coin, but also, you know, it's like getting equity as well. Like if you're in VC, mm. you know, you you get your salary plus you get you know, right, a okay. stake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry if I wasn't clear. Yeah, no, so no, no, that, that makes complete sense. Yeah, that, and, and it's the governance token side, which is the voice. Right, okay. So in terms of what the benefits of a DAO are, I mean, we may have covered it a little bit. I have it as a specific question. Mm. But what would you say the benefits um, are of having a DAO, running a DAO as opposed to a normal company? That, And I know we've spoken a little bit about sort of uh, democratization of, of running a business, but right. is that a benefit? Is that not a benefit? What other benefits are there? Well, I, I'm in terms of a pure sort of theoretical um, human rights perspective, you're giving someone a voice that otherwise wouldn't have a voice. And that's 
that's a powerful message. And that's the message that I really like, because, you know, this is how <laughs> I don't want to sensationalize too much, but this is how, you know, revolutions have happened in the past. People state their opinion that, you know, this is one that the majority have not heard. They get behind it. That person sort of builds up their kudos. They cut mm. their teeth, you know, being they, they sort of they show themselves to be a responsible actor in a in a group setting. And that's very hard to do, you know, in generally speaking. So gives them that that um, platform if they obviously have something relevant to say. Um, and everyone gets the same ability to vocalize because right. in a normal business, say someone lower down, they may have a brilliant idea, but they've got to go up the ladder and it may never get there. Absolutely. Right. Everybody in a DAO has the same ability to be able to of course. put something forward. Of course. It's, it's like, yeah. So, and also, you know, you don't know what those positions on the way up would have changed by the time you get mm. through bureaucracy. It's, you know, instead of, you know, effectively what I'm saying, you can work you know, you're behind off to get through the levels of the company and it's going to take, you know, maybe 40 years if it's a big company, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And then only then you have your power, but you might have the the idea now and you really believe it and you think it makes a difference. Now you've got the ability to have it heard. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. In as much as it is democratized uh, business running, I suppose, mm. is there not a lot of politicking? Oh yeah, it's all politics for sure, and that's it. it. It's it's because I suppose you know in a democracy that we understand in a political democracy or mm. in, a, in a country that runs as a democracy, there is a lot of politics, yes. and you don't escape that with a DAO. In fact, that's how it's run. That's how it's so run. So you have yeah. to. I mean, are there are there deals to be done with people as individuals? Does it encourage corruption to some level? Oh oh yeah. I mean, abs absolutely. I mean, this is this is kind of like the thing. Um, you wanted to talk about Mango. Um, yeah, we'll come on to that in a bit. That. There's a very interesting point to come on to, to come, you know, go into Mango. But yes, I mean, it's a theater. So you could be a malicious actor, but, you know, you come across extremely well, like <laughs> politicians. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of used in a malicious way to garner self, a boost to self-interest rather than the collective interest. Um, but people are sort of blinded because they think, you know, you're great by what yeah. you're saying. And then it only only by the result, then you, you know, the rest of the community are like, oh man, he's he's done us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's done us. You know, it's, uh, it's a, difficult. Would mm. a mission statement or something like that then help direct the, the the way or the movement of the company, right? Is that something that DAOs have or not? You would hope so. So, so obviously <laughs> our DAO, for example. Yeah. It's real estate based. Um, it's it's about responsible borrowing. So you would uh, you would hope that we would attract people that support those those pillars. But there's no rule. We can't we can't analyze someone's brain that's coming in. You know, we just have to hope that that's the sort of person we're attracting. So someone could come in. They could they could either interact to obtain um, tokens, yes. or they could buy those tokens. Yep. And they could technically, I suppose, be a competitor of yours and try and bring you down. Oh yeah, I mean, if they're savvy enough, you, you can't. You can't. I mean, so that's you, one of the the negatives of running it out. I guess. Yes, that's that's a that's a for sure a negative. You have got to trust in your code as well as what's well the way I kind of describe it as like um, it's kind of game the game theory side of your of mm -hmm. your DAO. So it's not so much as you know someone could hack your DAO for sure, which has happened so many times already, which I'm hoping is starting to come off a bit yeah. but also someone could sort of gamify your doubt in their benefit to drain liquidity um which is an which is a negative um and just for completeness because you know i i'm i do have doubt but i know that there are weaknesses for completeness the lack of centralization can sometimes be a big hindrance because for very general decisions for example we have the ability for the staking rate and the borrowing rate to be changed by vote mm -hmm. um generally very simple, fast sort of, I guess, yes or no type, um, not quite yes or no, but you know, mm -hmm. it's a degree type thing. Um, and it can often take a while for that to be instigated. So I suppose if you want to make quick decisions as a leader, you mm. can't. Every single decision you have to garner support and sometimes that can be a bit tough. Absolutely. And I will be clear as well, <clears> like uh, at the moment, um, stop me from watering on, but at the moment we are more centralized because to get something off the ground, you cannot get, you know, a decentralized group can't do that. It has to be an element of central control. To get off the ground, we 
are sort of a, a team and we are getting things moving and we're setting the staking rate, building algorithms to, in real time, be able to sort of prevent, this is a bit more complicated, but the, the peg of mm -hmm, our mm -hmm. stable coin being, you know, making sure it goes back to its original one pound peg, for example. Yeah, to stabilize it. Yeah, to stabilize it without having to resort to a vote, which could slow things down. Yeah. So there are benefits to centralizations, I guess, a kind of short way of thinking of it. But um, yeah. I mean, the DAOs, um, we're going to come on a bit to the, the mm. Law Commission because that is interesting. Mm. But did DAOs have employees? Because I guess then you could, to some extent, control how people vote because they're employees so that there may be, I don't know, benefits or not. Do DAOs normally have employees who have uh, well, governance em tokens? Employees are, it's, it's difficult to define because like as a DAO, for example, we, and also in our central team, we have people in, we have people in China, Canada, the UAE, like literally everywhere. Um, so being an employee in each of those countries is difficult because our central hub is in the Cayman Islands. We've got a foundation. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's difficult because it's a matter of, you know, those people are contributing to your team, but there's an element of trust, you know, these people are, these people are doing things for you, but in, yeah, if there was to be any fallout, it's very difficult to pin. Well, you're giving them that autonomy, right? That's yes. against, that's why the A and autonomy, you're, you're trusting them to do the right thing. Yes, correct. Yes. And we're all, I guess, trying to figure it out, mm, which brings exactly me, right. Exactly right. Yeah. which brings me to the next point, which is, and I've, I've, Sort of, I'm going to quote um, what uh, the law commissioner said, but the law commissioner has published a call to evidence, which opened on the 16th of November, 2022, mm. asking, quote, users and other experts for information about how DAOs can and should be characterized and how the law of England and Wales might accommodate them now and in the future. Are you contributing to that? And if so, what are you saying? Yes, I am. So um, it's a very, uh, <laughs> it's almost like, uh, it's a very, it's a step process. So they take you through specific parts which they want you to contribute on. And the parts which I found most interesting, um, so far at least, center around the um, responsibility that you designate to people within the DAO system. Um, so stuff that we've talked about, problems that we've highlighted. Yes, on yes, chat. absolutely. Yeah. And again, I don't want to go, I don't want to merge too strongly into the mango <laughs> part, but that is the part which I found most interesting because... Yes, there is a degree element. I think, well, in my opinion, I think control is extremely important. So at the beginning, you have founding members, right? And um, the specific part of the Law Commission report was saying that, you know, how far do you put um, liability for the code, you know? So for actually how it operates and people losing money as a result. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was interesting because at the beginning, founding members, if you've got a specific CTO and that CTO is completely in charge of the tech build and everything that goes into it, then obviously you start off with a large, I guess, liability. And mm -hmm. because also by the fact that there's not many people using it or anyone using it at that point, then you go through, I was suggesting to make mandatory uh, or at least explore the idea of um, doing the code audit, which I mentioned, doing that as a mandatory thing, you know, it's got to go through and maybe the relevant authority needs to be um, notified that that's happened. And the person, you know, there needs to be a way to have the, the auditors on a list, because that's, again, a testament to how legitimate they are. Um, then you go through the kind of battle testing, or you like, to, I like to call it just um, the, the game, the game theory test to see, you know, can someone or, or, get a group of minds together that are, you know, exceptional in this, mm -hmm. in this called the white hat hackers, I think is the word okay. and or the phrase, and they will spend like a few weeks attacking your protocol to try and drain liquidity, to try and mess everything up as, as much as possible. And, you know, they will, at the end, if there's no issues, they'll sign it off. And then you have the kind of two part, I guess, accreditation, I guess you could call it. And, and again, I would like to see that, that sort of, um, that game theory, those game theory testers put on an accredited list to go through. And then, you know, once you come out of that, then I think it's the, the, the liability has to drop for that CTO a bit because he, you know, he's got all these other two bodies are saying that everything is fine. doesn't seem to be anything malicious. It all seems like it's, it's protected. And then you have obviously decentralization, which comes after that. And this is, this is the, and, and, 
this is the thing it's, it's difficult after that point to to trace the liability to be honest i mean if the majority vote to say we want to change part of the code mm. and the cto does it uh it gets very really difficult because <laughs> because that cto is like well i have to operate on the will of the dow this is the reason why i've set this up however without investigating intent and ability to manipulate things you know am i breaching a duty of care that's that's the hard part i think so you've i think that there's two main things here which is really really interesting so mm. number one i guess your recommendation is to stress test the dow at the start and by sort of attacking it good people attacking it to some extent stress testing it yeah yeah allows the dow to get a, a seal of approval from I don't know, maybe a regulator, it may be a, a specific body, whoever it is, but to say, exactly. here is our seal of approval that yeah. this has been stress tested. Yeah, exactly. And then number two, I guess, is the ongoing tension between centralization and decentralization. You have a CTO mm. and they may mm. be making centralized decisions, yeah. but ultimately that person has to follow the will of the autonomous nature of it, which is democratized. Yeah, absolutely right. How do we go around doing that? I mean, that's that's probably part of the question. And I think mm. that you're right. We're going to come on to some of the, the real life examples of what's happened to DAOs and why they need to be stress tested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of your contribution, have you considered a way that that might actively operate? Or are, are you still trying to think about that? Uh, do you mean the actual accreditation part? Yeah. Getting it? I mean, like you just touched on, I think that's the best way is to have like a a list of like the government, for example, to set up a, mm. a department. I don't know how these things work specifically, but okay. you know, you could say these, this is a list of so like approved, um, approved sort of, uh, providers of mm -hmm. these services. I mean, the closest, which I'm thinking is that, you know, those approved lists when, when you have a visa sponsorship, for example, Okay. you know, these, these are then like trying to come into the country. Yeah. Yeah. Completely, completely tangential in terms of yeah. actual business, but the, the the process of actually being assessed by someone with government centralized authority to say mm -hmm. that these these companies are good to provide sponsorship to people coming into the UK. So it's like, yeah, whatever whatever system they have there to kind of say that this list of coders uh, or like, you know, code testers and this list of sort of gamify testers, um, I think that's a good start. But in terms of onboarding bad actors onto your DAO, mm. have you considered or, or proposed something to the Law Commission? Because maybe you haven't. I don't know. It's just so difficult to... When these tokens, are, I guess, are available to the public, mm. then anybody can buy them or obtain them, right? But put it this way. Like, if you go to the voting booth to vote for your local MP, no one's going to come to you first and say, oh, by the way, why are you voting for this person? <laughs> True. You know, they're going to just say, you've got the right to vote, and it's not my place to interfere with that. Um, just it's such a tension between because in a business, yep. if you're on a, if you have a fiduciary duty to make sure that the company is promoted in the right way and that you act in accordance mm. for the best interests of the company, mm. in a DAO, you may come on board as a decision maker, yep. but there is no fiduciary duty. Or is the answer that maybe the law commission should say that there is a fiduciary duty? I think I think it's the closer you are to the beginning of the DAO or the, mm. the beginning of the protocol, the easier it is to. Um, find somewhere to place liability because like I've, I, I came up with a very simplified um, example granted but you know if you've got three founders one's the CEO one's the CFO and the other's the CTO mm -hmm. I mean it, you could argue in normal company grounds that the CTO if something goes wrong with the code and people lose loads of money mm -hmm. you could follow it back to the CTO but in that case obviously the company is the one liable but this is where you need to sort of be kind of careful um, I mean there is a there is so for example we are you know our entities in the Cayman Islands we do get paid from that entity to mm -hmm. start with so it's kind of like is that where you would target us please don't target us because we're going to wrong but there's no reason to target you. yeah exactly no reason exactly. So don't, so don't need more about it but that's the thing but as later it's so hard because our plan is in I think well we were going for two years but it's probably more likely going to be three years we want to dissolve the foundation so. The will of governance is the the only kind of way to steer the company. The recourse is that the, the that decentralization, that democracy. Yes, yes, and and we will have people outside the system to enact the will of that DAO because, for example, the DAO can't sign a contract. Yeah. yeah. So there will be an appointed representative. Mm -hmm. Done a lot of checks in in various jurisdictions about this, and 
yeah, we could still have that um, infrastructure in place, but in terms of will, in terms of duty of care, in terms of, um, yeah, anything else really to do with director duties is, I mean, nothing. Well, you've, you've nicely come on to the next point, so thanks mm. for the segue. No problem. So let's talk about some real life examples. So yeah. in the US earlier this year, mm. the Commodity Future Trading Commission filed a complaint against a DAO called Uki mm. for breaching the Bank Secrecy Act. Ultimately, the breach was by the DAO slash the protocol, mm. which were alleged to have committed the breach. But the authorities have sought to pursue the governance token holders, i.e. the human beings who hold those tokens, mm. real life people who hold votes. Yeah. That compares to a UK case called Tulip Trading, whereby it was deemed that designers of a code which led to a loss did not breach the fiduciary duties. Uh -huh. So there's a tension between yeah. the US, we're going to find human beings behind this protocol, yeah. and the UK where they're saying, well, no, I mean, just because there are human beings who designed it doesn't mean that they should be liable. Yes, yes. Do you have any specific thoughts on this? I think at the current, like the way you've described that there, it's, it's all piecemeal. I think it's really hard to apply like a blanket rule. Like, you know what I was saying about working kind of, well, I was working forwards, but if you work backwards from what I said, from decentralization, tracking back to centralization, that's that's how I would that's how I would do it. So, I mean, it, I guess, what do you, could you tell me what the actual, you know, thing that happened that was wrong in the case? In, in, in yeah. Uki. Yeah. I believe that they were not complying with banking laws. There was no KYC. They were, they, I think they were providing certain assets which they shouldn't have been, which were financial instruments of some kind. Um, I mean, there's a wider story to it, but I mean, yeah. the, the, when you when you sort of boil it down, uh, yeah. it's if they can't go after a protocol because mm. essentially that isn't an individual, yeah. then they've gone after the people who have, I suppose, hold the governance tokens or at least made those decisions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. should we be penetrating that uh, that position whereby the people who made the votes, because if you think about it in a normal company, if it's a director yeah, yeah. and they have voted in a certain way, which has caused a loss, yeah, yeah. to some extent, obviously you can pierce the corporate veil to some point, mm. but the company's liable. And if it's the directors who's done something specific themselves mm. and have breached their fiduciary duties, then they're liable. But there's a little bit of tension here between the UK outlook where it's saying, no, mm. there isn't a fiduciary duty. In the US where they're saying, well, actually we want to go after individuals. I mean, should individuals be pursued? That's so difficult. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, I, so I would, yeah, I, I would look at every case saying that, you know, what is the operative part that has caused issue? If it's something that is in the genesis of the code that is, you know, found a way to be exploited later, but that's maybe you could attach more liability. But if it's something that was voted recently and the community voted to, you know, say that that's the case, then it, it is just... It depends, right? Yeah, it really does depend. Because my view would be like, if there's like a rogue person, mm. and again, we'll, we keep talking about how we're going to come back to Mango and we will, mm. but my view is, is if there's a rogue person who's caused a specific loss, yeah. and it's identifiable that that person's votes caused a loss, yeah. then I, I personally would say that that person should be held accountable. If it's as cut and dry as that, I think you've got Never a great is, case. Yeah, like, I mean, if you could <laughs> say this, this wallet address is this person, mm -hmm. this person lives here, this person um, also put the code in at the beginning. I mean, that's really cut and dry. It'd be fantastic. But, mm. yeah, though, the issues around, you know, anonymity. This is one thing which I really, I don't like about crypto, to be honest. I, I don't like the anonymity part. I like the freedom, mm -hmm. but anonymity-wise, I would, you know, <laughs> I need to be careful here, but, <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know, Putting a name on an, a wallet address, I don't think is... is well, a, for, the, uh, let's, for the purposes of DAOs, yes. it may hold people more responsible. And I think this is something that we didn't necessarily talk about. Mm. But the voters are anonymous. Yeah. So you can't... It, always, is that the case? Well, the voters are anonymous only because they haven't got their name on the wallet they vote with. So they have to, they have to take their governance token, put it in a voting wallet, mm -hmm. which, you know, there'll be a blockchain entry saying, mm -hmm. this wallet deposit into this voting contract and initiated yes or no. And you could see that code and that code will be a wallet address. It'd be unique. And maybe on some database somewhere, there'll be a matching name for it, you know, chain analysis or something. Mm. If, they've, if they've done some digging and found out mm -hmm. this person's this, but otherwise, no. And this is this another thing going back to the law commission thing is the pseudo anonymity thing. Because 
I could have your wallet address. I know you did something. This person holding this wallet address did this, but I don't know who you are. I don't know how to trace you. So it's like, <laughs> you're anonymous, but you're not because I know that something you control. Yeah. That, but it's really like it's abstract. it's abstract. Maybe that's another recommendation to say if you want to be if you want to participate in a specific DAO, a rubber stamped seal of approval DAO, mm. then there needs to be some KYC, and you need to say that I am Matt Green from London who lives at the following postcode, so that if you do do something that which is particularly rogue or causes a loss, mm. then you are identifiable. Maybe that's something that. The Lord Commission. Yeah, I need to think about it more because I think there would be more to it than that. But on the face of it, I mean, yeah, it sounds sounds reasonable. I just think about the reason why people like to cover their tracks. And sometimes you whether you've got like pretty, you know, I won't mention specific countries, but you know, very heavy regimes mm. when it comes to capital flight, for example, you know, claiming to be a free economy and putting restrictions on, you know, what can leave the country, yeah, et cetera. Fair. I think there's reasonable grounds to say, you know, I can hide my identity. But when it comes to, sorry, I keep jumping, but, you know, Tornado Cash. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll talk about that right now. Yeah, well, Tornado Cash, I think, is, is uh, I'm trying to think of light language to use about it. I think they deserve everything coming to them. Well, let's, let, let's talk about Tornado Cash yeah, then, yeah, right? Yeah. So just for people who don't know, so in the summer, Tornado Cash was um, sanctioned. So Tornado Cash in the US, um, it, what it does is essentially it seeks to muddle um, transactions on a blockchain, um, which is helpful for money laundering. Um, but it is a protocol. So there's not necessarily individuals behind it. It's just a piece of, of code. So if we think about this, right, sanctions are designed to change an individual or a regime's behavior so that it can reparticipate with a specific economy. So if, if, if the US are sanctioning it, then essentially they're saying, you may not participate in our economy um, until you fall in line with our thinking or stop doing what you're doing. Mm. But to sanction a protocol mm. is a bit odd because you can't change its mind. It's a piece of code. Mm. So again, they're sort of holding a piece of code accountable rather than human beings. And it all seems a bit odd. I mean, do you have, clearly you have thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting what you say because I think in this particular instance, the code and the the sort of design or in, intended use for the code are so sort of, it's, it, to me, glaringly obvious, the main use case for it. Yeah. So it's yeah. really, it's hard because it's like, exists as a piece of code, but the purpose of that code is, it's very difficult to see any other reason than money laundering, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. People say it's to, I saw some absurd argument about uh, a wealthy people covering up um, you know, making donations to charity. And I was just like, Phew. you can, first of all, you can, you can, request, that anyway. you can request that you remain anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also you could, you know, set up a, you, you could just even just deposit from your wallet to, to wherever you want to send it to, but they don't know who that is. They just, unless someone physically goes and traces, it gets disclosure orders. Yes. Goes yes, through yes. a massive rigmarole. Then Absolutely. yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But so I saw that was the only argument I saw. I, I, to be fair, I've only done limited reading on it, but, yeah, it, it, in this instance, it seems so obvious to me that, that that collection of code has a sort of a primary use. Mm -hmm. So I can see why they did it because it's just such a dangerous, I think such a dangerous thing. Um, but in terms of like precedence in further application, it's, I can see it's a bit dangerous because like you could have a very responsible group of code put together, but there's been one malicious case, it's been abused mm. and they can slap the same thing on it. I don't know how precedence works, but they could say, yeah, we just, we're, we're enough of the code um, because it's got this potential bad outcome. Yeah, Eef. investigation, I think it's probably key. Yeah, I mean, it just seems a bit odd that, the, that a, well, I suppose, does it seem odd? I suppose the the, the authorities in the US have said, we believe this to be bad, mm. we're cutting it off. Mm. But is, is sanctions the right way to do it? Maybe they've just used the wrong mechanism. Maybe. I don't know, but it's, it's interesting to see that certainly authorities in the US are pursuing uh, code, protocol, and where they can, the individuals behind it, which is again, sort of to some, to some extent against tulip trading and the outcome that, that was considered there. Is, the, is, the, is it a case of, so when they say sanctioned, do they yeah. mean 
restricting access? Is that the, the I think definition? that's it, yeah. But the whole idea of a sanction, as far as I'm aware, right. is to change the behavior. So, you know, things that are going on with, with Russia, mm. for instance, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are sanctions t against individuals and... Uh, companies to say, if you continue to participate in yeah. this behavior, yeah. then we're going to stop you interacting with our economy. Yeah, seems like the wrong word. Because it seems like the wrong word, yeah. It's just full closure of something <laughs> yeah. rather than sanctions. Because it, who is it? Dis it's discouraging people from using it, but not to a point to, to cause their, like, to something to give for something to, to for behavior to be altered. Yeah, for behavior it's just change. a shutdown. I mean, I, what is it? It's not a sanction, is it? I don't know. I, maybe they should have just blocked its use somehow via some technicality. I mean, these ultimately it still achieves the same thing, right? So we're sitting here yeah, talking about it, and it doesn't yes. really make a difference. No, true. I just the, the, you made me think about the word sanction because that's yeah. absolutely right. Sanctions yeah. are you know designed to put people off doing a something which they're already doing, uh, or you know, or they yeah something they're already doing. And and in this case, if someone was interacting with Tornado Cash. They, yes, they have put them off yeah, yeah. But by completely closing it. And it's not, it doesn't change their behavior in any way because it's your relationship with that thing is ended. And it's, and it's an objective piece of code. It's not going to change its mind on its own. Yeah. It's not going to decide to not exist. Yeah. But it's, that's the, yeah, that's, that's what I keep having to remind myself because the sanction is on the code, not against the people using it. Well, I'm not even sure they found the people. It was not even using it, it was designed it. But then you fall into tulip trading territory where it's like, well, if you find the people who designed it, are they liable? Yeah. In some cases, as you said, right, there's no blanket rule. I think you mm. would need to go and investigate and see whether you are able to sort of pierce this, I was going to say corporate veil, but it's not the right word. It's sort of like the 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 Dow veil, the the protocol veil to yeah, some extent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but let's talk about Mango because yes, we, sure. we've sort of referenced this a few times mm. now. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. So in October of this year, a hacker stole $100 million worth of assets through an exploit in the Mango Markets Solana Decentralized Finance Exchange. For those who, who sort of hear that I've said a load of words, it's essentially an exchange which is decentralized. Um, the hacker drove up the value of their collateral and then took out the loans from um, the Mango Reserves. He called those debts and then using governance tokens that he'd stolen, i.e. he now has all these voting rights, he became a voter in the DAO and proposed a bounty of $47 million, i.e. he would send the rest back. The DAO then voted in favor of that proposal, given uh, and gave the hacker a huge swathe of voting rights. Um, it was then able to pay off its bad debts. So the hacker then ran away with loads of money. Mm. Now, a friend of mine, Danny Haston at Chainalysis, put this on LinkedIn and said, and quite rightly said, this is ridiculous. Like we know who the individual is. He's appearing, I think there were videos of him appearing saying, this is what I did. It was all open. I hacked you and now I'm essentially coming via the DAO to legitimately take money. Mm -hmm. How can we stop stuff like this happening? Like what's, what's going on? <laughs> is this not a, a fundamental vulnerability of DAOs? Uh, I, you've, let's unpack that for a second. So I think <laughs> Sorry, I put a lot on you there. No, not at all. It's a, it's, it's, it'd be good form, uh, sort of good basis for discussion. So I guess uh, the first thing there is the fact that he's he's taken advantage of, you know, the second thing I was saying is, is you know, the game theory part of vulnerabilities. So he's, he's driven the price up. I, I don't know the exact details, but he hasn't hacked the thing. He's, he said, yeah, basically, this is an error which you've got. Um, it's the most obvious way I can show you. <laughs> it's by absolutely draining the hell out of it. Yeah. And then he's coming back and he's saying, you know, um, in exchange for giving half back, it's it's like, yeah, you you know, I've I've pointed out this massive error. Um, it's such a difficult one because often the principle is very clear because what happens a lot of the time, and we are, are going to do the same thing because we're still very early. So what we're going to do is have white hackers come in and try to exploit, you know, game theory issues. And we're going to obviously pay them and they're going to know what we're going to pay them. And then they're going to go ahead and attack. But in this instance, he's made a contract, you know, retrospectively, he's yeah. done the thing, obviously he's commanded a lot more because of what he's drained. And then he said, you know, here's my, here's my sort of, you know, parlay. Here's, here's how I'm going to yeah, negotiate yeah. with you. Uh, so it's like a power dynamic. The power is, is initially with us to put people 
in charge of attacking, but he has done it and he's the one with the, with the power. Um, so I think in principle, it's like okay to do that. But yeah, in terms of how, we, how he's gone about it, it's, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, to step one, I suppose, was, was he actually manipulated the price, yeah. right? And I suppose from your recommendations to, to the Law Commission, mm. um, by putting in, as you call them, sort of white hackers, mm. they could have avoided that. It's like when- If they were good enough. If they were good enough. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But on the basis that someone third party comes in to stress test your DAO and put their rubber stamp of approval on it, if someone then hacked like this guy did in Mango, mm. then you might be able to go back to that third party who stress tested you and sue them for negligence, whatever it, whatever it is, Actually, potentially. Yes, yeah. So I suppose step one, the way that this was done could be prevented by your recommendation, which is to see if there is a sort of stress test. They may have gone about, they may have gone through it though. But, I mean, okay, yeah. Yeah, but this guy, yes, I would suggest, yeah. And then step two, He's gone in and manipulated by virtue of the fact that he now owned, owes, all, sorry, owns all these tokens. Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. now has all these voting rights. Mm -hmm. so he can essentially yep. force the DAO to vote in a particular way. Yep. Now, I think he didn't have, I think he had a majority, but I don't think he had all of them. And I think to some extent what you were saying, he, he used politics to get everyone on board. Mm. But how can we avoid stuff like this happening again? Just, is this something that is inherently going to be a problem in DAOs? I think so because again it's it's yeah because he's got the voting rights um it's so so difficult because if you start thinking about safeguards having to actually format the safeguards and you know how they're triggered etc i wouldn't even know where to start mm. you know because it's it's you've yeah i mean defining malicious i mean or detecting malicious activity at an early stage is obviously impossible. Mm. It's very easy once the result has happened, <laughs> but like if it's, you know, in the inception stage and there's actually been a bit of work done um, by one, you know, the, one of the guys I said at Maker, he actually, and what we tried to actually investigate is there, a, is there an algorithm, is there a way to take all the data on DAOs possible, which a <laughs> bit of a plug here for deep DAO. Uh, they've got <laughs> all, essentially all proposals, all votes, um, all proportions of voting, all in one central database. And there are millions, there are millions and millions, and they've put them all together. We were trying to think of a way to put an algorithm to go through all of the data and actually suggest, you know, what's analyze what's turned out to be malicious and see if there is any kind of commonality between them. But it was too big a task. And that kind of, because it's just, it's, it, it could depend on what someone's doing one day, you know, yeah, the mind has changed and, what's happening in the world. There's so many factors. So I think, sorry, short answer, I don't think there's really a way to do any controlling of that. Do you think then DAOs might die away? Because it's just so difficult. You don't have, I mean, if you had a hive mind of voters, then it would be a success, right, every time. I think because we're so early in the life of DAOs and in earliness, I think you get a lot of holes that, that get plugged and slowly by iterations, you know, you get a, a better functioning system. Yep. And I think that's an argument for it going that way. Um, yeah, I, I think I think there is hope for, for DAOs. <laughs> I think, it, you know, extremely, uh, make a DAO again is a bit of a shining pillar in my eyes in terms of how a DAO should be run. Mm. Because, yeah, you get obviously all these massively interested people um, voting in certain ways and most of the time it's been completely non-malicious mm. but another thing which i think is a bit of an issue is in terms of i guess a DAO is going to die a death and currently the people that integrate with DAOs are generally very knowledgeable mm. educated people who you know know how to present their arguments balance it out and and obviously handle uh counter arguments well without sort of resorting to abuse or you know being too emotional and in terms of a further expansion of that i would debate whether it could be sort of scaled to the masses to be honest i think where DAOs are really useful is we have a lot of people and i'm talking like 
hundreds of thousands to millions okay. around a particular topic that are all engaged. Um, and, you know, to get the best out of a system, to get the best progress in a certain sector. But for sort of mass, real mass stuff, I would need to think more about it. I think it'd be very difficult. I think it just, yeah. I mean, that's very helpful. I think to some extent it may slow the process down if it's too big. But then again, you may need that to weed, to sort of weed out bad opinions. Or I suppose bad opinion sounds in itself a little bit. Exactly. Um, what is a bad little bit of, Yeah, a little bit of an issue. But, yeah. Um, I want to turn now to actually your business and the hot dough. So how does the hot dough work in simple terms? What is, what is it and what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, sure. So uh, just going back to what I said at the start of the um, podcast, um, stable coins, at least die as, as an example. And don't get me wrong, I think they're fantastic. But the lots, basically, this, this particular stable coin die is backed by Ethereum. And Ethereum is a very volatile cryptocurrency. So generally what happens, you put in, say, we'll just use simple fractions for the sake of it. You put in... Um, 10, uh, oh, not fractions, what am I saying? <laughs> let me let me try and articulate Yeah, that. yeah, no worries. So say you put in £100 worth of, of Ethereum yep. into a MakerDAO contract, mm -hmm. and you could draw down 50 DAI, which, and DAI is a, is a, is a US dollar stable coin, so it's, it's, it's designed to be stable. And, you know, if you go to places like Coinbase, Binance, you can actually exchange DAI for a dollar one-to-one. So it's... But the idea is it holds its value. Hold its it's value. just a cryptocurrency mm. blockchain asset, yes. digital asset yes. version of a dollar. Yes. Exactly. So people that own Ethereum, they see long-term value in it, but they want to interact a little bit more with the mm -hmm. crypto ecosystem without selling it. So okay. they lock it up and <clears> then they get DAI as a stablecoin. They can go buy other cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. blah, blah, do what, do what they wish, or get dollars. Um, so effectively, you're getting a loan in DAI against Ethereum's collateral. Mm -hmm. Ethereum has in the past, you know, dived by like 40, 50% in a week, um, which, you know, if you're borrowing at 50% LTV, you know, you're borrowing 50% of the value of the collateral you've locked up, then that can be very dangerous. Because if you get below 50 in terms of your sort of, your sort of collateral ratio, then your vault is going to be liquidated. And that means the protocol takes the Ethereum in there, you get zip, mm -hmm. it takes that Ethereum and then it auctions it off. And then it uses, <coughs> sorry, a bit complicated, uses Ethereum to sort of buy back DAI, yep. closes off the vault because obviously there's but still it's, it's a there debt to protect there. itself, right? It's not there to protect you. And effectively, the DAO or MakerDAO in this particular instance um, needs to have that failsafe to protect the holdings of everyone. Okay. Because, you know, if, if, you, if you start saying there's no longer a valid way to liquidate in case of default, then confidence in, in the entire system drops. And then you get panic and the DAO could easily break. Right? Mm -hmm, and that means, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. effectively, yeah, the, the, there's emergency shutdown message, m m methods that could get triggered. You know, it's, okay. it's that, sort of, that sort of serious. Um, but we just, yeah, we just thought, why don't we try and put real estate in as collateral and mint our own stable coin? Because so it's backed by, so it's a stable coin. And yep. instead of being backed by a third currency, yes. cryptocurrency, yes. which can go up and down, yep. or by something that's algorithmic, which we've seen fail oh, God, yeah. this, this year. Without mentioning his names. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it, yeah. <laughs> Mention enough names today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's a stable coin actually backed by real estate, by yes, property. Yes. That's right, yeah, yeah. Instead. And, and specifically prime London residential real estate. Okay. So, you know, we've chosen that specifically because it's it's even through the um, terrible financial crisis of 07, uh, 08, uh, they, that specific class of asset held its value very well. Mm -hmm. So we are giving up to 70% LTV okay. off, of, off of the value of, of what you deposit. We, well, yeah, uh, we're working with a different company uh, called Token House that have, have worked out an incredible way to digitize property in terms of value and rights mm -hmm. into an NFT, place the NFT, and then obviously the user will then come to us, place the NFT in our protocol, and it, they would lock it up just like they would Ethereum because in that form, in that NFT form, it's you know completely interactive with the blockchain. So when it's in there, 
they just lock it in a vault and they draw down our stable coin up to 70% of the value. Right, so the mm. value, so the equity of the property yeah. is essentially tokenized into a, an NFT. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one NFT for one property? One for one, exactly. So One for one. So when yeah. you start, I remember people always talk about fractionalization and yeah. it becomes yeah. difficult. And then how do you, say for instance, you have a hundred different fractions of it. That means yes. how are you going to put it back all together again if there's a free market? It's that's, a nightmare, that's right? A nightmare. It's, it's very good, I will say, for raising money because effectively what you're doing is a, a share raise, you know, you know, you're just raising money, yep. but yeah, in terms of ownership, if you have to sort of come back and, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. What, how do you get that control back of the property? I mean, yeah. is it, is it a percentage thing? It, it, in my opinion, it gets complicated. So you have an NFT stored and that's the collateral for the stable coin. Yep. On the basis being, and I'm just regurgitating this because I'm trying to understand yeah, it. Understood. So the idea is, is that the NFT is locked up mm. and because the value of the property that forms the NFT mm -hmm. is more stable than algorithmic and because stuff like Ether and mm -hmm. other cryptocurrencies fluctuate, yes. it's a nice way to keep stability. Absolutely right. So then what happens next? So at that point, the user has their HGBP, which is a pound denominated stablecoin. So HGBP is? HGBP is the... Is, is, so H is for? Oh, it just stands for the, the hot protocol GBP. Okay. So yeah, yeah. your coin. Yeah, our coin basically. Okay. So, so if it, I think it's a pound stable coin. A pound stable coin. There is another uh, I've heard of called Pound Token, where they use the um, it's a USDC slash T model, where yeah. they just take pounds, put them in a bank account, and they mint um, their pound token, which I think is GBPT, and that's Why are you doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just it's a tried and tested method, yeah. and you know it's 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 fine. But you know we we think that especially with you know inflation, mm -hmm. um, these assets generally speaking, are very inflation-proof. Um, they've been steadily rising mm -hmm. despite um, despite recessions. You know, the overall trend is, yeah, is yeah, upwards. Yeah. We're taking equity-only properties, which means that, you know, there's no existing debt. So we are the so first- Always debt-free property. Always debt-free. To start with, we've okay. been thinking about a way for second-charge debt. Um, and yeah, this person will get their HGBP once they draw down, but they'll also get a slice of our equity as well, which will be worth something. So, you know, the idea is they hold on to that equity. As the business grows, then effectively the way in which we operate is we don't take profit. We distribute the borrowing fee. Mm -hmm. you know, people actually, you know, pay to borrow that HTTP into the community. And often that could go on buying the governance token in the open market and burning it. Sorry, I'm trying to keep this as, no, no, no. as, as, as short as possible, <laughs> but it's it's a value return system rather than a profit system. So everyone, including us, obviously as token holders, community as token holders, is designed to, as the DAO grows, to return value to all of us as token holders. And it's always fully backed because there's at the moment, obviously, with FTX and everything mm. else that's going on, yeah. trying to avoid speaking about FTX because everyone else is. Yes, yes. But in a in a in a in a sort of world whereby people are losing trust or are considering that exchanges don't hold all the assets mm. to back yep. their deposits, yep. your position is that actually you will be able to see yep. what it's backed by because it is real estate it is and real it's estate. not going anywhere. And it's being audited and also we're getting independent valuations twice a year from, I don't know who it might end up being, Knight Frank, Savills, whoever on the day okay. sort of seems to, to provide the, the best service. That will go in to the NFT, so it will be backed, and you can trace it back to them if you wish. Also, the property will be held in custody with a custodian, which is a, it's a trustee company in, in the UK. You can actually check the records there if you want to go back further. So mm -hmm. it's, we can't, <laughs> I know you mentioned FTX, we can't take the collateral and play city buggers with it. Yeah, no, yeah, like, yeah. Which is basically- you can't, buy how, you can't buy mansions in the Bahamas. No, no, exactly. And we can't say, yeah, your money's fully backed and yeah, then we're yeah. actually going and splurging or relying on a bull market to return funds when they come due. But you literally physically can't pick up a building and go and run off with no, it. No, no, you can't literally. And it's got a charge on it from the trustee. So, you know- And is really, that on land registry? So it's on land registered. registered. It's on land registry. Right, okay. Absolutely right. Because there is a bit of a tension, I think, between sort of, uh, to my mind, I mean, back when I was a trainee doing um, real estate, mm. You know, you sort of interact with a relatively antiquated system, which is the land registry. Yes. And obviously now you've got this sort of new world of this Web3 style crypto blockchain world where you're taking something that's a bit older and, and mm. revolutionizing it. Yeah. Have you found that there's a tension between the old system of 
you know, sitting down and signing deeds versus and the land registry mm. and doing what you're doing, or actually do they interact quite well? I'd say there's not a tension, but there has been there's been a, a good amount of work put into actually figuring a great system out to do this. So yeah, it's a lot of research. We found a way in which it can work really well. It would be a lot easier if we had a blockchain land registry system. Um, I believe they've got one in Dubai. And also I think that some, that's something that will come in our, in our well, I was gonna say lifetime, but I think in the next 10 years. It's got to. Yeah. I mean, from people I speak to in property and yeah. who have an interest in this, yeah. The idea would be, is that the land registry or the documents held on the land registry, so all the charges, um, the deeds, everything would be stored as an NFT on the blockchain. And when you buy a property, you can just buy the NFT. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And also the fact that it's complete, you know, the way obviously blockchain works, you've got to have full consensus every time there is a change. Obviously, that change could be transfer of title. Mm -hmm. It's it just it's tamper proof. It's it's obviously modern and, mm -hmm. it's, you know, the land registry is just, <laughs> it's a dinosaur. Um, but yeah, to, to, to go back to what you initially said, we have found a way, but we think there's a better way. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, I think. And you want this currency, the HGBP, yep. to be available on the open market. Oh, yeah. So are there, there instances or is there a plan to get it on exchanges for people to buy? Absolutely. Yep, on exchanges for people to buy. Um, also, we are speaking with uh, an FCA registered on-ramp to have effectively just a one-for-one -one conversion with GBP and HGBP to sort of enable people just to get completely into the ecosystem, but also to change the HGBP out to GBP. Okay. So, you know, and, and another great, sorry, I keep plugging. Another great <laughs> thing is our offer, you know, our, especially in the current interest rate environment, we're offering borrowing at a level of 3% which is obviously, you know, a two-year fixed, I believe is like six, over 6%. Yeah, it's pretty crazy like at the moment, yeah. Plus, we're giving you 3% equity, so you are effectively borrowing at 0%, if you're talking in pure value terms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that's like, you know, that kind of really shows that we do want to make the community the center of this, you know? And we, we <laughs> yeah, we do want to be, we want to show that, that we don't have to be attached to the central bank and the margins that come after that from commercial banks. We want to just say the system can run itself here. Yeah. We want to have a currency that's actually backed. I mean, fiat money, for example, is just backed. It's backed by nothing. You know, we, we can't print money. Another thing is that when money is returned, principal money into our, our protocol, it's burned. Yeah. So when the collateral is not there to back it, we it's irresponsible for us to keep that money in existence. So mm -hmm. we destroy mm -hmm. it. The interest is it gets used to sort of that's the value return for the system. But that is, I mean, interest is always going to be excess to collateral because it's, you know, it is a, it's, it's, it's a man-made thing, isn't it? You mm -hmm. charge interest. So I've got 10 pounds here. I lent it to you. I lend it to you. It's minted from collateral. You need to, for borrowing, you need to pay me 11. Where are you going to get that extra pound from? So interest, yeah, we understand needs to be in excess. But even then, <laughs> that would be a bit confusing. Even then, the value of all the, collateral is going to be higher than what we lend out plus the interest as well. Okay. So yes, we are completely backed by real estate. Could this not have been a project? Because the, the property stuff itself, mm. creating an NFT um, and allowing that to be the collateral is a business idea. Yes. As far as I'm aware. And yep. that sounds really interesting. Yep. There might be people who go, I, I love it. But mm -hmm. what I don't like is that it's run like a DAO. Mm. Can they be separated or does the does the, oh, the yes. business idea need to be run as a DAO? No, well, it, we could obviously, yes, it doesn't need to be run by a DAO. Um, there are two, the two separate businesses. So Token House actually takes the properties, digitalizes them mm -hmm. into an NFT as a service. So then the NFT is with the original person that owns the property. It's up to them then to come to us, our hot DAO, and then lock it and then do right. the borrowing. So we're kind of like, <laughs> you know, the terms again, <laughs> we're kind of like, like a bank yeah. in that regard, because we take, you know, collateral on board and we offer borrowing against it. There are similarities. Similarities, exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, but the DAO model, obviously, it's our choice because, again, we, you know, our model, our economic model returns value to token holders. So... Yeah, we could set ourselves up as a central team and our shares just keep going up yeah, because yeah, yeah. of all the value return. But it just, it doesn't, it, we just can't. It doesn't, doesn't make sense well. to us. No. Okay. What happens, again, I'm asking some, 
I was sort of stress testing it myself because I like the idea. I want to understand it. Yeah, yeah. If a property gets knocked down or I don't know, destroyed or there's a flood or whatever, does the NFT get destroyed and do you transfer the value over to another property? That's a very good point. So there are safeguards in place within the um, the trustee custodian agreement that if there is kind of issue that you know happens with that, then um, the property is or the value of the property on the chain is is reduced to zero unless there is an insurance payment that comes in to actually fully back the value of the property that's been destroyed to the to the amount that Knight Frank or Savills actually yeah, yeah. And and you know, we need to see that or the custodian needs to see that money before it then reflects forward to what's on the NFT. And then the the sort of collateral position is safe. So the insurance piece is actually quite important here. Yeah. So in the it's like it would be with any other property. Absolutely. Right? In in the beginning we are insisting on fully, or, or not we, sorry, Token House is insisting on comprehensive yeah. insurance, but we'll obviously check that as the service provider for the borrowing. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. I think um, that, I mean, my questions hopefully are questions that people are thinking when they're listening and hopefully they 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 understand the position a little bit more. Um, I just want to ask a few sort of more general things. Um, what other projects have you got going on? Is that something that you can talk about? Uh, well, uh I don't really have anything which I'm putting my mind into other than this because I see it as such a big thing. Um, I do participate in the um, all-party parliamentary group on um, Web3 and the Metaverse, which I've really been enjoying. So effectively, there's there's a, there's, there's MPs and, and there's peers that come along. Um, and it's just one of the entry points into the policymakers to see you know what the industry is thinking um another one is is obviously the law commission a far more formal way of doing things you're doing a two-pronged attack to try and shape the industry yeah ab absolutely, absolutely as you should be yeah and and you know <laughs> being extremely clear you know it, we're going through the law commission side it isn't just about you know plugging my business for example it is showing what the advantages and the disadvantages are are too so it can be mm. like a proper framework okay i think I'm going to ask one last question, which is what advice would you give people looking to run a DAO? I would make sure before you make the decision to go to start a DAO that your idea or your business is um, is going to suit the DAO structure. So for example, if, if, if your business relies on many definite decisions that are either yes or no, mm. I would potentially think that, you know, just having a centralized structure is better. But if your business kind of relies on, you know, debate, vision, mm. um, you know, uh, a bit of a, a revolutionary approach to the existing way of doing things, then I think a DAO will bring out the best in it. That's a really nice way to end this. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> no in. No problem at all, mate. Really appreciate really it. I love talking. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I, uh, I thought I'd read out some um, feedback that I've received from the podcast, and I appreciate um, continued feedback. Um, a friend of mine has written here, um, I saw a few screenshots of your podcast on LinkedIn. He then sent a, uh, a picture of me when I was speaking to uh, Andrew Howard uh, from Mexico. So it was just purely on my face. He said, you look like Steve Job here. You are a strong, cool looking man. But here we only see your bald head, um, which is, you know, it's fair. But I don't know why I put the word bald in. I mean, I know why I put the word bald in, but um, I wonder whether it would make any difference if if it wasn't a bald head. But um, thanks very much. Keep the feedback coming. Um, I look forward to recording some more podcasts uh, further down the line. Um, and thank you all for listening. This podcast does not contain any financial or legal advice, and you should not seek to rely on it as such. Opinions are the individual's own. This podcast was produced and edited by Joe Hawkins, production support by Jake Key, and music by Luke Caring.